Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited that you're joining this stream with us. Um, are you ready to talk politics? Um, I'm just kidding, in a way, a little bit. I'm kidding a little bit. This is the send-off sermon for 2020, um, which I'm really honored to do with you guys. Um, I'm super glad I'm the one that gets to light this boat on fire and push it out into the water. So um, we have a few days left of 2020, so there's still time for zombies or aliens or whatever the most 2020 thing uh, that could happen could happen. But um, so be honest, like how many of you at some point have said, man, I can't wait for 2020 to be over because I have. I 100% have said that. And I've heard many people say it as if on January 1st, like at midnight, some switch is going to flip and then no one's sick anymore and no one's arguing about politics and everything is just like sunshine and roses, right? But if we had to, if we had to like really bet on it, I'm going to bet that we wake up on January 1st and not a whole lot has changed. Um, I think there will be new tragedies and new arguments and new news stories. Um, and I think that's because 2020 isn't just some random unlucky draw of a year that we got. I think that a lot of what made 2020, 2020 has been brewing for a while now. And so there are some statistics that I found that I think point to this. And so uh, if you want to look at these with me. So in a recent poll, um, 17% of Americans said that they're proud of the state of America. And 71% said they're actually angry about where our country is right now. And 80% of Americans believe that things in the country are out of control. And then this is the most, the most telling one to me. Um, so in 1997, uh, 64% of Americans said that they had a great or good trust in the political competence of their fellow citizens. And in 2020, that number is down to 33%, which means 70% of us almost see each other as incompetent and unable to process information and make like an informed decision based on that information. And so you can feel in that statistic alone how divided we are right now, let alone like going on Facebook or anything like that. And so 2020 wasn't just like a bad hand that we got dealt. 2020 is where we are right now as a society and our divisive, self-obsessed, dehumanizing culture that we live in right now was just primed to explode when a pandemic, an election, and civil unrest all happened near simultaneously. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about is really important because things are dark right now. Like, things are really dark, but we were made for this. Like, if anyone is ready for this, it's the church of Jesus Christ. Like, this is the ball on the tee, like, ready. This is our opportunity to go, like, to run with this opportunity. So where I want to take us this morning, um, whether or not I am capable of doing that, uh, I'm going to try. Where I want to take us this morning is to a place where we know that 2021 can be more joyful for us, not by the luck of the draw, but because we're following the model for living and ruling that God created for us, and because we, we have a joyful confidence in Jesus Christ as the one leader who will never sell us out, let us down, or fall through on a promise. So, so this morning, what I want us to look at is what the Bible tells us about humans participating in a society and about exercising power and authority and so on. So we're going to look at this concept of human rule um, from where it first appears in the Bible, and we're going to follow it all the way to Jesus, 
where it meets its fulfillment in his life and death and resurrection at the center of the whole story. And we're also going to look at like how we're supposed to participate in society in light of the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's where I want to start this morning, and that's going to be in Romans 13. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up to Romans 13. And so in this book, Paul's writing to Christians in Rome who are in the middle of a divisive culture, um, an environment, and they're under a government that is hostile towards them and even surveilling them. Um, and, and even the church was divided. And sound familiar? Um, so this is helpful for us, just like it was helpful to the church in Rome. And so I'm going to read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And so to summarize, there's a lot there. Like that's, that's six weeks, maybe six months of teaching, uh, especially where we're at right now in our culture. Um, but what the Apostle Paul is telling Christians in this passage is be good citizens. Just be good citizens. Just do good. You have a thousand opportunities a day to do good, whether it's letting that person merge in front of you without honking, or if it's someone bumps into you with their cart at Walmart and you maybe don't roll your eyes or cuss at them. We have these opportunities every day. And we're supposed to do good because of Jesus. And let that sink in for a moment, how powerful that is in 2020. Like, what an apologetic it is in 2020 just to be a good person because it's countercultural. And so even in political conversations, we should be positive. We need to be positive, and I know what you're thinking because it's the same thing that I think. If we're in a certain conversation and things are political or about a cultural issue and you're just positive, someone may put you in a category that you couldn't be farther from. And where I stand on that, I think it's okay. I would rather be confusing and kind than to be totally clear and a jerk. So I would rather be a little bit politically ambiguous and be a kind person than for someone to know where I stand on everything and to be seen as a jerk because I don't think I'm as much used to the kingdom of God if I'm a jerk. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, just be good citizens. And it's a clear command of Jesus to be kind to one another. So Paul tells us that we're to be respectful and to obey the law, and he says, pay your taxes. Like, I know, like, Paul, have you seen what they spend our money on? Like, have you looked at the itemized bill? And he's like, yeah, they're bad. They're bad at being leaders. Worst case scenario, you deal with it for 100 years. Best case scenario, depending on how you view it. And then it's over. So just 
pay your taxes, and respect our authority, is what Paul is telling us. And what if everyone was like that? Like the citizen that Paul is describing in Romans 13, what if everyone was like that? Like, couldn't you use some more of that on your Monday morning? Like, how much different would the world be if you're in line at Walmart and that's what people were like? And that's why the church exploded in the first century, because that's what Christians were doing. They were in a divisive, hostile culture, and they were countercultural because they were kind, because they did what the law told them to do, and they were so attractive to everyone at that point. And so that's what I think God has for us in 2021, is to be like that. Like, but I understand that that's hard to do, like, especially when you have politics and cultural issues on your mind all the time. And that's why Paul says in Colossians to set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, for we have died and are now in Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning is lift our eyes to God and not on cultural things. So we're going we're gonna to look at what the Bible says because the story that the Bible tells us is important and it matters. And when we let our cultural issues set the categories for how we discuss life, we only end up using the Bible to argue rather than listen to the story that it has for us. And so we're going to look at the story the Bible has to tell us about human authority on earth, um, which, is, which is political, like how humans interact and rule over each other uh, for a common purpose is what the word politics means. And so uh, I think there's no better time to do this than now to talk about human authority on earth. And so uh, in the Gospels, um, Jesus Whenever he's asked a question, whether it's about marriage or taxes or him being the Messiah, he has this habit of always referring to Genesis 1. Like, no matter what someone asks Jesus about, he usually says something directly tied to the first pages of the Bible. Because the first pages of the Bible were always on the forefront of Jesus' mind as more than a page for us to argue about how old the earth is or to tell kids where animals came from. Like, Jesus understood, and what I want us to understand, is that Genesis 1 holds the answers to life's biggest questions. Like, what kind of world do we live in? Who is God? Who am I? Um, What's wrong with the world? And is there a way we can fix what's wrong with the world? Are all answered in Genesis. And um, it's just really cool, and that's what I want us to look at. And so one of the things that Genesis provides us is a framework for human authority. Like, that's where the whole idea of human authority comes from. And so in Genesis 1, God uses his authority to create beauty and goodness and order out of disorder and darkness and chaos. And that's ruling, right? That is what ruling is. So ruling is about imposing your will on creation so that it goes in a direction it wouldn't go in on its own. And everyone watching this and listening to this does that. So whether that's teaching a kid something that they're not going to learn on their own, or whether it's gardening, something that's not going to just appear if you don't do it, or training your dog or painting, um, like that's all the authority God gave you to take creation and to send it in a direction it wouldn't go in on its own. And so God gave us this authority in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and 27. So I'm going to read that to you this morning. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth will have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so this, the, the poem there in verse 27 says that God made humans, and uh, so the, the word human, it's like mankind or humanity in Hebrew is Adam. And the word earth, where God made us from, uh, is the word Adama. And so like Adam comes from the dirt, from the soil, and that's Adama. And so like this is uh, the author of Genesis telling us like we are made like to rule the earth because we are one with the earth. And it's like a Hebrew uh, kind of turn of phrase that they use there. And so it says then that we're made in God's image, which is a thousands and thousands of year old debate about like, what does it mean to be made in God's image and what it means to be made in God's image? It's a concept about humanity's role in the world. And so it means that we're reflections of God's character. It means we're appointed representatives by God to rule his good world on his behalf. And so Genesis 1 defines our place in the world as humans. We've been appointed by God to rule the world and to be reflections of him and to trust him and be in union with him. And that's how we're supposed to treat uh, ourselves and creation and other people. And how long does it last? Not long. Three pages. It doesn't last long. Uh, Humans choose to go their own way and to use their authority to rule creation however they want. And it leads to injustice and violence, and conflict, and death. And so from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, you have God's people failing to rule properly and respect each other properly, and it ends with them always ending up uh, in exile or in slavery or under a tyrannical corrupt government and so on. And so the plot tension driving the whole story of the Bible is like this political thing of like humans ruling over each other and doing it wrong. And so the question is, how on earth is God going to assert his power again over the world? How is he going to assert his rule over the world? And this is where we arrive at the New Testament. This is where the Bible takes us. And it follows up on this storyline, and it, it takes us to Jesus, and it presents Jesus as the one in whom this whole political conflict will find its resolution. And so in the first gospel, in the book of Matthew, the first sentence in the New Testament, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this is a political statement, uh, especially to Jews in the first century. This is a political statement because Matthew says that Jesus is the Christ, which is Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed king. So saying that Jesus is an anointed king is already a big deal. And then you throw under it, son of David, son of Abraham, because the Old Testament tells us that a son of David would come and would rule as king over all the nations, not just Israel. And son of Abraham means like back in Genesis, God told Abraham that a seed would come from his lineage that would bless the whole world. And so this is Matthew like smacking the reader in the face immediately and saying, it's Jesus. Like Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one that's here. 
And then in Mark chapter 1, so the next book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 1, Mark tells us what Jesus would go about teaching on any given day. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he says, the time is fulfilled. Like this whole political problem that we face from Genesis until now is fulfilled because I'm the king. And so on any given day, if you're a person in Galilee, like Jesus might teach about loving your neighbor or he might teach about marriage, but he's always going to teach about the kingdom of God. Every time, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus always talks about the kingdom and he's proclaiming that he's the one who's here to bring God's authority back over a rebellious world. And so the plan all along was for humans to do this, for humanity to rule the world on God's behalf and to be loyal to him and in union with him. And they did a pretty poor job with Babylon and Egypt and so on. Um, And here comes the chosen one, right? Like Jesus is the one to fix this for us. And what does Matthew say that Jesus does? Like, after he's proclaimed, my kingdom is here, what does he do? He goes up on a mountain and he teaches about life in the kingdom. For three whole chapters, he teaches about this. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount, which almost like strips some of the power away from what it was. Um, This was Jesus's political manifesto of the world we're supposed to live in. It was a very powerful just upheaval of everything that we still believe about life and how we're supposed to rule over one another. So this is how Jesus told his followers that they're supposed to rule as God's image-bearing human beings. And so if we look at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to these people that we wouldn't expect it to. So Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to the poor, to those who mourn, to the meek, to those who are persecuted. Like Jesus tells us that if you want to rule, you'll lower yourself to being that of a servant. And that if you want to be the most important, you'll put yourself in the position of least importance. This is Jesus's kingdom theology political manifesto. And this is how he lived. Jesus lived this way. And during Passover week, he rode into the holy city and was proclaimed as that king. And it led to him being killed on a Roman execution rack. And so uh, Matthew does a beautiful job of showing us how God is asserting his rule over the world again. And shocker, it's not how humans do it. And so uh, Matthew paints a picture of Jesus's enthronement, right? And so Jesus is given a crown on the way to his throne, which is the cross, a crown of thorns. And Jesus has a robe draped over his shoulders in this enthronement ceremony, and he's given a rod that he's beaten with. And so Matthew shows us what it means for a human to truly exalt God's power over a rebellious humanity. It's for the king to become the sacrificial Passover lamb, and Jesus shows us that our way of ruling has been wrong, and that's not how you rule creation on God's behalf. And so, throughout the whole Bible, on page one, God uses his rule and his power and his authority to establish a good, beautiful world to share life with these creatures named humans. And then, out of his love, he gives that same authority to the humans so that they can share in the wonder of ruling and creating. And they throw it in the trash, right? And then that same God, Jesus, 
is shown establishing his rule over that sinful world by letting all of its darkness and corruption and wickedness uh, take him over and crush him. Because God loves life and he loves you too much to let our twisted political way of living have the final say. And so the empty tomb, the resurrection, is new creation, right? And so Jesus exits the tomb, he beats death, and he goes to his disciples. And what is the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples? He says something political, like, Jesus. He, Jesus comes to his disciples and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's still saying these political things. Jesus says, I'm the president, I'm the governor, I'm the king. It's my kingdom. This is how we should live. And so Jesus is just always telling us political things about the kingdom. And so in the gospels, we see God come to earth to be the perfect human that he made us to be, but we failed to be. And so God invites us into his kingdom, and Jesus tells us to invite other people to come share the gospel and to live under the risen King Jesus. And as we read earlier, Paul then tells us in light of that, while we're still here on earth, dealing with corrupt human authority and society, we're to, no matter who's in charge, pray for them like crazy. You come under their authority, even if they're corrupt, because you know that they are in submission to God, whether they acknowledge it or not. They're under God's authority. And you use your gifts and your resources to spread the good news of the risen King Jesus. And then we wait for the day that Jesus returns and makes every wrong right and uh, brings justice in a way that we will never be able to. And that's how we're going to approach 2021 if we want to succeed and have a joyful confidence. And doesn't that just make your problems feel small? Like, doesn't that give you a boldness that, that you need right now? And that's because the kingdom Jesus established doesn't need political victories. It doesn't need the right political party. It doesn't need a strong economy or socialized health care or any of these things because it has Jesus. And if we believe that Jesus overcame the cross, then we can rest assured that the gates of hell much less a bad earthly government, will never prevail against his church. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. God, we we love you so much, and we thank you for the Bible and for the beautiful story that it has to tell us. We thank you for giving us your, your authority so that we can just rule creation, God, and we thank you for Jesus for making it all right. We love you so much, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.